episode 257, Rating the Raiders of Hospital Quality. Today, I speak with Carl Billamoria, MD, from Northwestern Medicine. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I talk with Carl Billamoria, MD. Dr. Billamoria is a surgical oncologist and a VP of quality over at Northwestern Medicine. Plus, he is also a John B. Murphy professor of surgery. The second I heard that Dr. Billamoria and his colleagues had worked on an initiative to, in air quotes, rate the raters of hospital and physician quality, I reached out to get him on the show. I had just had about four conversations with various people about the difficulties of judging quality. And I'd also had a confounding personal experience visiting a patient at a hospital judged a top hospital by a well-known national rating scale. And this top hospital had some readily apparent issues, and I am no expert. That got me wondering about the validity of some of these quality raters. Given the importance and the need for healthcare quality transparency, Dr. Billamoria and his colleagues set out to fill this gap by undertaking a, as mentioned, rating the raters process to evaluate and compare probably the major publicly reported hospital quality rating systems in the United States. These include the CMS Hospital Compare overall star ratings, health grades, top hospitals, Leapfrog, safety grade in top hospitals, and the U.S. News and World Report best hospitals. Interestingly, that top hospital I was in was scored a top hospital by one of the lowest rated raters. <laughs> My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Dr. Carl Billamoria, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thanks for having me. So rate the raters. What was the impetus for deciding to rate those who are rating the quality or value of healthcare delivered? Yeah, beyond just being fun to uh, turn the tables on the raters and uh, rate them, we were really seeing that there were some confusions amongst all the stakeholders, patients and families, referring providers, payers and purchasers, and even the hospitals themselves, when trying to interpret all these different public hospital quality rating systems that were coming at them. And seemingly there was a new one every few months that was coming up. And I, for hospitals, likened it to uh, six-year-olds playing soccer. You know, every time a new one came out, they would sort of go from one side of the field to the other to just address the latest thing that came out. The other piece of this was that they were conflicting frequently. So there have been a couple studies that have very nicely shown that you may be the best hospital in the country on one rating system and one of the worst on another rating system. And so obviously that confuses stakeholders. People aren't sure what to do with that. Clearly a patient uh, cannot use that kind of information to, to, to decide where to go for care. We wanted to bring some information and some comparative information to those who may use these rating systems so they could understand what the relative strengths and weaknesses were of these from a group of people who spend a lot of time thinking about how to measure and convey healthcare quality information. And the stakes are high here. Like, I, I don't want to underestimate the importance of how people are using these rating systems. I mean, it, it definitely, as you said, it could be a patient who is looking to figure out the best place to get important care for themselves or their family. 
And it also could be an employer or even a carrier who's trying to figure out what the high quality institutions are in order to not overpay. Or It's more than that, even with the payers, they will steer patients based on these rating systems. And so they may tell you not to go to a certain hospital and to go to another instead based on these rating systems. They may enter into contracts with hospitals only if they have good scores on one or more of these rating systems. So this, the stakes are high for hospitals, but they're certainly high for patients. One of my own patients had a large tumor and saw that we had a couple of ratings that weren't great for healthcare-associated infections at Northwestern and instead sought out the hospital that had really good scores on that. Well, it turns out they have no experience dealing with that sort of tumor. And she came right back and we talked about actually some of the problems with measurement and she got, she was very comfortable and we did her surgery and she's doing great. But you could see how somebody could be steered to the wrong place if they use these ratings to make healthcare decisions alone. As you just articulated very well, it's not even just the score on the ratings. It's also what any given system chooses to measure. So it's kind of a breadth as well as a depth situation that we've got going on here. Absolutely. So there's, uh, you know, each one does things a little bit differently. They make different decisions, some good, some bad. And so those are the sorts of things we wanted to call out. One of the other fun facts is that if you look at all of these rating systems put together, they, we like to say that there are 1,000 top 100 hospitals in the U.S. because each one, somebody's good on some rating system. So, <laughs> <laughs> of, this, of the raters that you rated in your study, do you want to just give us kind of a quick rundown of the ones that you took a, a hard look at? So our criteria for how to pick which ones we were going to look at were it had to be national and it had to be public. So we looked at U.S. News, LeapFrog, Health Grades, and the CMS, the one that Medicare puts out their star rating. At the time, we had also looked at consumer reports, but as we were going through this process, they shut down their ratings division. It was inconvenient of them. Yeah. All right, cut to the chase. How'd they all do? Let's start there. You know, we went through a long, thoughtful process, but overall, we thought that U.S. News did the best they scored a B plus and then uh, health grades and the leapfrog group got the worst scores and the Medicare CMS hospital quality star ratings were in the middle and we gave them a C. We went through a process to get to that and it all it sort of aligned with after we looked at all the evidence, we said, which one do we think is the best? Which one do we think is probably the worst? And the grade certainly ended up aligning with our assessment. Yes. Uh, qualitatively. And I probably should have given a spoiler alert before we read the last page of the book first, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the due diligence that you and your team went through. I mean, maybe we start with, what are your qualifications to do this? All of the folks who came together to do this are physician methodologists with deep experience in measuring healthcare quality and doing research in the area. And so have spent many, many years focused on this topic. I think you would recognize many of the names, but they include uh, Peter Pronovost, John Berkmeyer, Justin Dimmick, Karen Joint, and Helen Burston, all well-known entities uh, nationally. And if we were just going to get the top line, I mean, obviously, probably a podcast is not necessarily the 
optimal format to get into math, <laughs> but how did you conceive of the methodology that you chose to use? And then kind of like, what's the just the gestalt of it? Yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge because there's no gold standard to measure against. We don't know which one of these is, is truly correct. And so what we did was we developed our own evaluation criteria. We looked at the evaluation criteria that people use in other settings and in similar work, adapted those and formalized those. And so we had six criteria. The one that we were most interested in was the potential for misclassifying hospital performance. How accurate was the rating system in actually conveying the quality of care at that hospital? Other things included the importance of the system and the impact, scientific acceptability, iterative improvement, transparency, and usability. Once we created those evaluation criteria, then we went through a standardized evaluation process of all of the rating systems and then we met in person and really uh, hashed out each one and spent a lot of time talking about the strengths and weaknesses of each one. We put that together. I should say at every step, we included the rating systems. So we told them early on how we were going to rate them, what we were thinking about, asked them for input, incorporated their input sometimes. We then brought them in person um, all to uh, a meeting and individually met with them to talk through our findings to make sure we were correct, to try to understand their perspective and really think through how we could give them suggestions to improve not only their rating system, but the field as a whole. And then we went through a process of writing up our findings so we could share this information with the community. And ultimately, what's your intent? I mean, I can probably infer because you got the raters involved and gave them feedback that one of your aspirations is to enable that gold standard that you mentioned that we don't have? Yeah, I think that each one of them have opportunities for improvement that we were able to pick up on. They may have known about all along, but I think doing this publicly, putting this out, put some pressure on them to actually improve in those areas. It may you know, get their boards to push them to improve in these areas. The other intent really is how do we move the field forward? What else is missing that we need to do to get better information to patients and other stakeholders? And then finally, I think there is this piece of having grades does give people information very quickly about which rating systems they should have more or less confidence in based on the opinion of a group of experts. And or how do you use them together as some kind of construct? Like maybe one of them is super good at evaluating X, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're great at Y. Undoubtedly, you know, triangulating the data in some way would be valuable. It's not totally clear how to do that, but... Hopefully with the strengths and weaknesses that we laid out, if you're looking for something in particular, you could go look for that in a particular rating system that was good at it. Conversely, you would just be able to know what the limitations are if you can review our relatively short you know, strengths and weaknesses summary for each one of them. Harkening back to the Marshall Allen example, where you know obviously he was awarded the top doctor prize because that particular entity was looking for advertisers. Like you award someone top doctor and then they pay you to advertise in their publication. Was that a factor in any of these or the ones that you chose to evaluate don't necessarily have that conflict of interest? It's not that conflict of interest. I mean, that is just pure, you know, selling an emblem to anybody who wants a plaque. This is different. I will say that all of these rating systems have a, an intent of doing the right thing and trying to serve their constituents there's no willful malice here or anything like that. 
the conflict of interest can come in for some of these because some do monetize their emblem. So if you are one of the U.S. News Best Hospitals, you can pay them fee to use their logo on banners outside your hospital, on billboards, on your website. And so there is some conflict of interest there. We think that that leads to a problem because these groups may actually intentionally want to identify different hospitals as the best hospitals. You know, you could imagine that, well, if, if my best hospitals as, let's say, health grades are the same as U.S. News, most people are going to buy U.S. News. It's the more noticeable logo, well-known and respected. So nobody's going to buy mine. But if I can identify a different subset of hospitals as health grades, for example, then I could sell it to a whole new set of hospitals and I'm not competing with U.S. News. We think that there may be some incentives like that that could occur. So maybe we take a look at some notable notes from each of the rating systems, which might be helpful to our audience as they consider, at least in the short term, how they could potentially change how they're using some of these rating systems. So like notably, what do you think that you would mention based on your research about, let's just start at the top, the U.S. News System. That was the one we rated the best, and we found them to be very responsive to science. They're always looking at measurement science and uh, feedback from the community and always working to improve that. They've also gotten rid of some of the well-known problematic measures where the measure actually is a paradoxical measure. It, it reflects the inverse of quality. So you may, if the measure says you're doing well, it actually means you're doing poorly. So they get rid of measures like that. They also include volume, which we all know is important. It's a proxy for quality. The more you do of something, the better you are at it. It's actually, it actually works very well. So we like that. And then they also include a category and this is unique for them that they include reputation. They survey physicians in specific specialties across the country and say, where would you send your most challenging case? A lot of people take issue with that because it's subjective, but it probably, and we think it really does reflect something that physicians know about services, specialists, advanced technology, clinical trials, And that's the information they used about where to refer their patients. Collecting that reputation data is valuable, and they use that in their rating system. And so we overall think that's great. The one con that we had for U.S. News really was we thought they should release that survey data that they get for reputation so that outsiders can do analyses and verify how they're doing the analyses, uh, because there are some concerns that they may not be handling the data as well as they could. Number two, CMS. Well, you know, CMS is the government. It should have, it does have a lot of face validity. And in fact, we heard from the other rating systems that sometimes they did something because that's the way CMS does it. They do do a good job of engaging technical expert panels. They certainly bring together a lot of panels, whether and, and to what extent they use the information from those panels is unclear. They certainly don't monetize their logo, so that's a benefit but they have a lot of problems. They group all hospital types together. So tiny rural hospitals with 15 beds are compared to behemoth huge hospitals like ours with over 1,000 beds and taking care of very complex patients that do transplant and all sorts of trauma. Turns out that the hospitals end up reporting different measures, different types and different numbers of measures. Some report all 60 measures, some only report 20. And they try to group these together. So what they're doing is they're essentially trying to grade together groups that are or hospitals that are taking totally different tests. And so we think that's a huge limitation of what they're trying to do. They use some of the flawed measures still, some of the measures that are absolutely known to not 
be valid. They have left in there. And they're the government, so they're slow to incorporate measurement advances. So moving on to the, let's just say, lesser scoring bottom of the pack here, Leapfrog. You want to talk about them? Yeah, so Leapfrog is uh, a group that seeks to provide safety information on hospitals. They do look at that in a way that others don't by measuring the culture of safety. They have a nice way of the measurement that they do and how they weight their measures is interesting. But they have a lot of problems as well. They're an internally developed survey that has no audit. These are self-reported data. Only 50% of the hospitals in the country actually choose to participate, yet they try to grade all of the hospitals, even without the data. They exclude some fundamental measures like mortality. It's pretty important, I think, not dying when you go into the hospital, but uh, (laughs) they choose to ignore that. They use a lot of flawed measures and homegrown measures. All of that sort of conspired to lead us to believe that they were toward the bottom of the pack. I will say about audit, this is audit is a is a feature that, you know, does affect all of these. The data are generally not well audited across any of these uh, rating systems. They are usually based on claims data. So when a bill is submitted from a hospital, they have to report certain data and those are the data that are used. There's no real audit done. And it really comes to light for LeapFrog because they put so much emphasis on a self-reported survey. And they claim they do audits, but it ends up being only a couple out of a few thousand hospitals a year. That matters because if you're using claims data to do an audit, obviously there's not everything in claims data. So it would be tough what you're saying to, there's no necessarily like a data set that you can use to compare the self-reported anything against. Right. But even with claims data, there's variability in coding. So you can code things differently in claims data. And we know that on some of the measures used in these rating systems, there is some gaming going on by hospitals. They will report no some complications and not others. Right. <laughs> At our hospital, we almost go too far the other way. Everybody is very by the book. And probably we over-report complications because of the integrity model that we have with respect to quality. But even CMS and the CDC put out this communique a few years ago. The CDC is a measure developer of the hospital-acquired infections measures. And CMS reports those measures and uses them in their paper performance programs, in fact. They put out a communique that said, well, essentially they said, well, we know some of you may be selectively reporting your complications, gaming the system. Please stop. Really, that's all they could do because they do not have a robust audit mechanism in place to actually provide any threat or real ability to identify inaccurate data. So I know we still need to get to health grades, but just pausing here for a moment relative to the auditing. I mean, this seems pretty intractable. Like how can a gold standard, is it even possible for a gold standard to be created if there's nothing, if there's no single source of truth? Well, I think that is, you know, about how do we move the field forward in in some way. And that is that we need to have better measures, better data, audited data, and that will start to give us confidence and trust in the data. We also need to then work toward which measures should be used. I think if you look to the financial world, there are rules that are set by FASB that says, you know, these are the types of measures that can be used. They're validated, they're checked. The data have to be audited. So there are rules in place for how to handle the data and how to select what goes into composite measurement systems. They can still vary a little bit about how they measure. But, you know, in no other industry would this pass muster where we have this high stakes reporting of reputation of hospitals and 
that even these measures are used in pay for performance programs. So there are millions of dollars of penalties that occur for individual hospitals each year. And all of it is based on unaudited data that just wouldn't pass anywhere else. And so I think there are a lot of things that can be done to move us toward a more valid, reliable, trustworthy rating system of hospital quality. And I want to come back to that in a sec, but let's just make sure that we tick health grades off of our list. What was the, give us the good and the bad and the ugly. Sure. I mean, health grades is good because they are focused on procedures and conditions. And that's what patients want when they go look for something. You know, the overall quality of the hospital is fine, but they want to know how do they do on taking out my colon because I need my colon out. And so they provide that. The problem is they only use, they only study outcomes from administrative data. That means that you only sort of get one aspect of quality. The other things around adherence to best practices, patient experience, timeliness, all these other domains of quality are left out. They use some of the flawed measures that we had talked about. They also group hospitals together. They do not particularly engage experts in how they do their work. And so this led them to really get a limited grade from us. I think they have one positive that I think others can learn from, but overall, we didn't have confidence that this reflects hospital quality. I think that this comes out in a number of places. So, you know, just last week, the LeapFrog reported their top hospitals, HealthGrades puts out their top hospitals, CMS does as well. And frequently, when you go to look at which hospitals are the top hospitals reported in your area, they would not be the ones that you would refer your patients to. There's a face validity disconnect. And in fact, when the star ratings from CMS came out, there was only one five-star rating in the Chicagoland area, the entire Chicagoland area. And it was a small, underserved hospital in Northwest Indiana that you know most people have never heard of, let alone refer patients to, or that we'd want to direct patients to. Again, the face validity problems of CMS, health grades, and LeapFrog was why they got a limited grade from us and U.S. News got the best grade because they do have better face validity. Going back to what we were talking about before, how do we move the field forward? You know, I know that you said looking to other industries to level up the field here, like the financial. Is that some kind of moonshot initiative or do you feel like there's a way that in the short term with the available data that we have, which is one issue, you know, just the amount of data and the quality of it that we have, but then also the fact that the endpoint and what, you know, outcomes matter to the patient is highly variable. How do we navigate this maybe short term and long term? I think there are a number of opportunities to advance the field and get to better data in the short term. There are certainly things that are more moonshot-like, but I think in the short term, we can get to better data by doing meaningful audits. And again, this does not have to be an audit of every piece of data that comes in, but it can be selective. And so I think there's a role for targeted audits where we see a hospital that is taking care of very sick patients but has no complications. We should take a look. They may have best practices in place and something that we should all learn from, but we should validate their data. Similarly, there should be random audits. The threat of audit like the IRS is a powerful force, and that's not there right now. Nobody knows anything about an audit potential to invalidate their data. I think we can also start to ensure that there is balanced measurement in these rating systems. So like HealthGrade only measures outcomes. We would like one that sort of looks at structure, process, outcomes, patient experience, timeliness. 
look at the entire set of the quality domains to be able to provide a comprehensive picture of quality. You know, the other thing is that these groups need external peer review. They shouldn't be able to just come up with their own way of doing things and never seek to publish their methods and seek peer review of their methods. You know, some of them don't use expert panels and use the information from their expert panels appropriately. And so I think there are opportunities in the short term to really shore up the data and these rating systems without something that's excessively costly and time consuming. And how do you conceive the difference between rating individual physicians and their outcomes versus rating the hospitals. You know, like, for example, I know the Pacific Business Group on Health, they spend a lot of time evaluating institutions, but then only select certain individuals within those institutions to participate in their center of excellence programs. What are your thoughts relative to the the individual ratings versus the institutional ratings? Where do they intersect? Right. The easiest place where this happens is in surgery. So, you know, thinking about your surgeon versus the hospital, that really ends up being surgery specific in some cases. Some surgeries require the hospital to provide an excellent system of care. And some surgeries are really technically demanding and unique and require the surgeon to be excellent in order to get the result. Usually it's a mix. You need both. And so I think it's fair to start to think about how we assess individual physician performance. But the problem is that individual clinicians do a small number of cases of whatever they do compared to hospitals. We know that to get a reliable estimate of quality, you for a hospital typically need, you know, somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred surgeries to just begin to get a reliable estimate. Surgeons do far fewer cases. And so the confidence interval for that is very wide. It's really hard to measure outcomes, risk-adjusted outcomes between individual providers. But there are plenty of other things you could measure. You could measure volume, the number of cases they do. Again, the more you do of something, the better. Their adherence to best practices, patient experience. There are ways to do responsible and valid reporting of individual provider performance, but we haven't seen anybody do that particularly well yet. All right, cut to the chase here. Let's say I am an employer or an employer coalition. And what I am looking to do is to, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, steer my employees to high value organizations, you know, high value health systems to get high risk surgeries or oncology care, or we're getting into things that where the outcomes really matter to the patient and they're very expensive. What I'm hearing you say is that these public rating systems, all of the issues that they have, I'm going to assume that even if you didn't rate them, that there's other private systems that likely share the same at a minimum challenges. What are my takeaways from what you have said? What advice do you have for individuals who are looking to do the right thing by their employees and get their employees to the right places? Part of that is picking the right rating system to look at. And so if you're going to pick a rating system, you should know its pros and cons. You should know its strengths and weaknesses and understand what you're using. But that's complicated. I mean, we had a hard time teasing some of these things out and we spend a lot of our professional life figuring this out. So 
that's why we distilled this down to some grades. And so if you need to have a, a good rating system to decide which hospitals to make sure that you're including in your network for your employees, I would use U.S. News. I think that will provide you with good face validity and excellent hospitals to include in your employee insurance plans. I think if a hospital wants a good read on its quality, U.S. News will do a great job. I think understanding the rating systems and then having the cheat sheet of our grades should help to know which rating systems to rely on. And is there anything that you think is particularly important to mention here that we haven't gone through? You know, like some takeaway or some advice to all of us who have a very vested interest in the accuracy of these ratings that are being put out. I think that the takeaway here is that these rating systems should be interpreted very cautiously, even the best of them, because there is some potential for misclassifying performance. And we don't want to mislead patients or payers or doctors or purchasers or the hospitals themselves. The best way to, from the patient standpoint, for sure, triangulate the data is to use the rating systems, use your referring providers, your primary doctor and his or her recommendations, and then triangulate that what you with what you've heard from friends and family in the area. By doing that, you'll likely get to the highest quality provider. But we have a lot of work to do to be able to get great information to patients about how to select where to go for care. As somebody who works in this space, I feel partly responsible that we haven't been able to do this yet for patients. And so I think you'll see us doing a lot more work over the next couple of years to improve rating systems and improve the data that patients can use to decide where they go for their health care. I'm thinking a weighted average. Right. Yeah, I don't know that weighting these four and trying to merge these four rating systems together would get you to where you want to be. That would probably only amplify some of the problems. Another group has tried to do that recently, and we don't really think that's the right approach. What do you think the timing is on this? Because this is not necessarily, I would say, encouraging. You know, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot that is riding on making sure that patients get to high-value providers. It's just been proven time and time again. The cost of healthcare actually goes down and outcomes get better when the providers are and the hospitals are demonstrably high-value. Yeah, we're not, in, we're not intending to be discouraging about healthcare as a whole. Getting better data is going to take some time, and it's probably going to take some sort of federal mandate to require what these rating systems are required to do in order to be able to publish their evaluations of hospitals. What are the things that they have to go through? What are the types of measures they can use and can't use? What sort of audits have to be in place? And what sort of external peer review needs to be done? If we could get to that from some sort of federal mandate, and there is work in place to try to implement that, then we could really advance the field fairly rapidly. And I know, Carl, that you are involved in a number of initiatives, this being but one of them. What are you working on now? Ah, when you messaged me, I thought it would be about the paper that came out last month in New England Journal from our group. And that was one looking at the impact of discrimination, harassment, and bullying on uh, burnout and suicidal thoughts amongst surgical trainees in the U.S., We realized that as we were studying quality and safety and how to best train our trainees, that uh, burnout was getting worse year over year. And so we started studying that and realized that mistreatment was a big driver of that. Now we just launched a national trial of 215 surgical programs across the country where we're actually using quality improvement principles and giving them a scorecard back of their data so they'll get to see how they're doing on burnout 
thoughts of suicide, thoughts of people leaving their program, sexual harassment, gender discrimination. They'll get to see how they're doing compared to all the other programs in the country and then use that as a quality report card of such to identify targets for improvement. And then we give them uh, resources, tools, interventions, policies that they can implement in that specific area where they may have an issue to try to improve. And so that's a large national randomized trial that'll run over the next few years with the modest goal of trying to change culture. (laughs) Yes, I can see that that is very (laughs) modest. (laughs) So this is very fascinating. If someone is interested in learning more about the New England Journal of Medicine article that you published, is the New England Journal of Medicine the best place to go or is there more updated information somewhere? The New England Journal website is the best place to go. They can search for me uh, and they would probably find it. And then the trial is called The Second Trial. So if you went to uh, www.thesecondtrial.org, you would learn all about that. And also there is a link to the paper there. But if you're interested in the Rating the Raiders work, that was published in NEJM Catalyst. So if you go to their site, it was published August 14th. 2019. Thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today, Dr. Carl Villamoria. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.